Hey everyone, I'm Ryan Kalamea. And I'm Amy Gosha. Welcome to The Divorce at Altitude, a podcast on Colorado family law. Divorce is not easy. It really sucks. Trust me, I know. Besides being an experienced divorce attorney, I'm also a divorce client. Whether you are someone considering divorce or a fellow family law attorney, listen in for weekly tips and insight into topics related to divorce, co-parenting, and separation in Colorado. Welcome back to another episode of the Divorce at Altitude podcast. I'm Ryan Calamea, one of your co-hosts. This week, I am joined by one of my favorite people and favorite clients, Jennifer Colson. Jen is a top producing broker at Coldwell Banker in Vail, and she just recently journeyed into Cabo down in Mexico, Cabo San Lucas, and we'll get to that. Jen, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Ryan. Such a treat and always such a pleasure to see you. Well, not always a pleasure given uh, our prior relationship, you know, professional relationship, but why don't you tell our listeners uh, who don't know who you are, you know, where, where are you from and kind of tell us your story. Sure. Thank you so much. So I was originally born in Kansas City. I'm a Midwest girl. I went to school in Texas and ended up living there for eight years and then relocated to the mountains here in Vail, Colorado. I have two little girls and I was married for several years and lucky enough to get divorced. And now, and that's how we met. You were actually my second round of attorneys because my attorney, after many, many successful decades of being a divorce attorney here in the state of Colorado, retired. I think my husband, as I affectionately call him, put her towards her retirement a little more quickly than she was expecting, but he gave her a run for her money. So um, I, uh, I've i lived here now in the Vail Valley just over 20 years. And as mentioned, I've now expanded my business into the Cabo San Lucas market, focusing mainly in the San Jose area. I'm really excited about that new adventure, but also excited to be here with you today and hopefully help somebody that is going through or is considering uh, making a change in their life. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit more about the marriage and how you have arrived at looking back very favorably on your divorce? Well, walk us through your marriage. Was it always tumultuous? Was it something that took you a long time to realize that it was wasn't a good fit for you. What Talk us through that experience for you. Sure. Uh, I was a really lucky girl in that I got to marry the guy that I had had a crush on my whole life. I met the man I married when I was in fourth grade. He was in sixth grade and just like the eyes in a, in a cartoon, right? With the hard eyes. Never had a chance with them. We went to high school together. We lived just a few blocks from each other. So we grew up together and knew each other our whole lives and reconnected after college. And at that time, we had an amazing romance. I was so excited. I mean, I woke up in the morning just so excited to wake up next to 33 on the football team. It was just overwhelmingly full of joy in my life. And we ended up having two beautiful little girls. And after I had my first baby, it definitely started to see a pretty massive change. I realized much further down the road and after a lot of intense therapy that I was married to someone who was considered an extreme narcissist, and that made it very difficult to bring additional people into the relationship, my children. So when the focus was no longer just on him, the dynamic changed. And, and I realized I was a big part of that now looking back because I'm an enabler and I like to do everything for everyone. And that was a little bit more difficult when all of a sudden I was raising two babies on my own, running a business. And it was, it was a lot. So as things started to tumble downhill quite quickly, 
Nobody really knew because I am a master, as I think a lot of, especially girls, are raised to just make sure their family is perfect. They are exuding the perfect lifestyle and, you know, the family unit. And my parents weren't really buying it at all. And so they finally said, you know what? We will pay for you to go to one counseling session, and that should just be plenty for you to realize you need a divorce, Jennifer, which was mind-boggling at the time. Um, being in real estate for 20 years, I worked through the crash. That was extremely difficult here, and we were a few years behind the rest of the country. And at that time, we chose to open a medical marijuana center, which was such an amazing opportunity. And I, again, got to help a lot of people. But that combination of him really being thrusted into that whole world, I think compounded the issues he was already having. So when I started going to therapy, I went to that one session and she looked at me and said, I think you could get free counseling at, at a organization called Bright Futures. And I said, okay, great. Free sounds awesome to me. And she said, well, do you even know what that is, Jennifer? And I said, no idea. But if it's free, it's for me. I bet you. And she, she said, well, it's a domestic violence foundation. And I just started laughing. I said, I, I don't think I'm going to qualify for that. But sure, if you think it's worth my time. I had a less than two-minute conversation, phone conversation with the director of that organization. And she said, I think you should come on in, Jennifer. I think we might be able to help you. I was shocked that they would think I would even qualify, especially after a conversation that was so short. And when I got there, I began working with an incredible therapist. And as I say, if you're in therapy, you shouldn't be in it necessarily for the rest of your life if they're doing their job, much like you. <laughs> you're working with a divorce attorney. Hopefully you're not working with them for decades. You get your job done and move on. And it took her a year to what she calls break me from my loyalty or even consider that I was in an unhealthy marriage. And I think one of the comments that was made to me, and I have repeated it so many times to other people is, if you are really happy with the relationship you're in right now, and you would love for your children to be in the identical relationship, then stay in it. But if you would not be happy to see your son or daughter be in a relationship with the kind of person that you are currently living with, and then maybe it's time to reconsider because children traditionally will emulate what they know. And what they know is the lifestyle and the family unit you're creating for them and the environment they're living in. So that was a real eye-opener for me. And then the real process started, which was the actual divorce. Yeah. I mean, one thing I will tell clients that tends to resonate with them is I'll say you are worth what you tolerate. And that in particular sounds like it's applicable to you and, and your journey. I want to go back and ask you. So I'm interested in that you had this very short conversation. Well, first of all, you have a therapy session, which is probably 60 to 90 minutes. And then immediately the therapist picks up on something in that session. Session, and then you call Bright Future Foundation, which is a local battered women's shelter, uh, essentially. And then immediately they say, we detect something significant there, but then it took a really long time. So what was that conversation like when you called Bright Future Foundation? Like, what are, what are the things that you said? In now, in retrospect, you know, hindsight says it was 2020. So what were the things that you said that you didn't realize were really that significant? I think... 
The amount of stress that I was under and the amount of physical and health issues that I was having due to the stress at that time was a major red flag for um, the person with whom I was speaking. Additionally, I just gave her kind of a little recap of what was going on at the time in my life and my relationship and the dynamic of what was happening in our household. And, you know, once I started the therapy and started working with them, I later found out. And of course, like you said, hindsight's twenty twenty. you look back and say, wow, pretty crazy that I went through all that. But it was very, very intense. There was an extreme amount of mental and emotional abuse that was going on. And to me, all the other stuff didn't even register. It didn't even hit enough high enough on the scale where it even made a difference because there was so much of the other stuff going on that it didn't even give me a time to breathe. And also, at that point, with the financial component to it, a lot of people don't have the financial component. But I think when you're working as a team and you work together, the financial component can become very, very scary, especially, I think, to a lot of women, traditionally men. And, and we're seeing a shift in that. But a lot of times the men are the breadwinners. And so when you make that shift, it's scary to think, where am I going to live? Who's going to pay for the groceries? Like, how am I going to take care of these children, get them to where they need to go, do my own job, sometimes create a new career? I was lucky in that I had a career, but it definitely, it wasn't where it is now because it's impossible when you're caught up in that cycle, I think, to be as successful. You can use work as an outlet which I think I've done a lot. And it's an option. It's something to focus on in lieu of the reality that you're living in to just keep grinding. And but it's difficult when you have the health problems, because it starts taking such a toll on you. And I think that was a, a real telltale sign for me that I had not realized. And I was dealing with vertigo, internal bleeding, they said I was eating myself away from the inside out, you had crazy things on my skin. Like it was nuts what was going on. And, and, and then coupled with, of course, our, I think our audit had just started as well, which was the beginning of our seven year audit with the IRS had just started at that time too. And so you mentioned, let's kind of unpack that you were, right. <laughs> I want to talk about the kind of financial integration mm -hmm. or the relationship you guys had that might have been different, but also to kind of separate that out from the emotional aspects or the, the relationship there. So you were a real estate broker before or well, during the marriage, right? Correct. Before, during, and after. And then, so you had that business or that aspect of your life, but then you guys started a business and you did it together. It wasn't just, and it was the dispensary that you guys started and you were pretty active in that, right? Extremely active. So I, being, coming from a contractual background, I was handling all the paperwork, which was a lot. We were running 40 to 60 doctor appointments a day through the store and doing all the med cards for everyone. This is, of course, before rec was legal. So everything was medical at the time. There was a huge learning curve. But I think one of the reasons that we were able to get our license approved so quickly was because of our background. My husband, as I like to call him, he was formerly a compliance officer for a trading company. And with my real estate background, we weren't your typical applicants for the licensing at that time. So I think we had a little bit of a leg up, but now all of a sudden we're working in a business with a whole different 
kind of customer than I'm used to working at in a luxury resort real estate market. And but he he always wanted to keep the party going. He's a, he's a party boy. So for him, having a store like that was a dream come true. I mean, it was all everybody in town wanted to be hanging out with him now. So for you, you had to separate out the business relationship that it was going to be obviously inconvenient. There was going to be some emotional aspects and financial consequences related to that. And we'll get into that, but you also were a young mom and, you know, so, and you have these societal pressures. I mean, your, your parents are married and that you guys had met and you were on the outside. Everyone thinks that you are kind of this perfect couple. Walk us through that pressure and what it was doing to you in your decision, you know, to get a divorce. I think that it's very important for people to remember that there or in my eyes, there are three entities. You have the two people that are getting married, and then you have the marriage itself, which in my eyes, that becomes an entity of its own. So destroying that, which is something that not only have you made a commitment to each other, but you've made oftentimes a commitment to your family, to your friends, they've all been involved as well. We were both involved in debutantes, country clubs, like we were very society, we raised in a society type of picture. So there were a lot of expectations. Moving to Colorado took a little bit of that pressure off because we're not amidst all of it all the time, which was nice. But it still was something I was proud of. It was important to me. It was my life. That's it's something I committed to and was doing period. Like there wasn't going to be a getting out of it. There wasn't going to be a divorce. There was going to be us figuring it out and working through it. And when I hit that therapy, I think I started opening my eyes that this isn't healthy. And more importantly, it's really not healthy for your children. The marriage, of course, is a product. The children are a product of that marriage. So splitting up just the business that's almost kind of easy if you have kids. You know, the children are to me is really the hot button because they're the most important. But splitting up that business was easier probably for me than others because of the fact that we had started the audit. So the audit, I was I found out there were a little over a half a million dollars worth of illegal deductions taken on our returns. So that became a big issue. Our tax situation was out of control. And as my dad says to me, why would you sign that? I mean, how could you even sign that document? And I said, <laughs> since I was 18 years old, somebody has sent me a tax return, an accountant that I've paid or trusted or, you know, that we've worked with and said, sign this. So when my husband at the time, someone that I should be trusting more than anyone, sends, hands me the, you know, our joint returns, which we had been filing together for many, many years before opening the business and says, sign this, I did. So for me, I had to separate myself from the business because of the tax liability I knew was there. It was very difficult for me. I am a massive believer and proponent for cannabis. And, and I, I loved being able to help all those people there. And I was very active in the political side of it. We had an incredible turnout in the polls here in Eagle County when that vote passed. So we worked really hard at that. And it was a cause that was very important to me. But obviously, my children and my health come way before any business. And that was back in the Wild West when, you know, it was Colorado was one of the first states to pass legal, you know, medicinal marijuana. And you guys were one of the first stores, if not the first store in Eagle County. And so then you have this tax issue. And I, if I remember correctly, it was kind of in terms 
terms of the business and whether or not you could do various deductions because under the IRS or the federal law, there it was still illegal at that point and there wasn't really any guidance on what you could deduct. So the federal government said you can't take these deductions for a business that we consider illegal. Is that a fair summary? Fairly close. There was a little more to it, but yes, basically that. And 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 I think too that right, of course. You know, it's tricky when you start dealing with who's your biggest nightmare, right? And the IRS is someone that I would always say if you have the ability to avoid getting into a battle with the IRS, take it, <laughs> take that way out. Well, let's talk about mentality and because you've been talking about therapy and instead of the particulars of your divorce, what do you tell people when you have friends that say, thinking about getting a divorce or I'm going through a divorce? Absolutely. A hundred percent of the time, my comment back is, congratulations. I am so excited for you. And it's been shocking over the years that I've been saying that to people. And I say that to people that I've just met. I say that to people that I've known forever. I've had one person really have a hard time with my response. And that was interesting because she was completely in love with her husband. She thought she had a picture perfect marriage. And her husband just walked in and said, I'm in love with my secretary. I've been with her for X amount of years. This marriage is over. Here are your papers. That's so far from what I came from. And I can't imagine that. So to anyone who's gone through that, my heart aches for you. I can't even imagine what a blow that had to have been. That being said, I think there's a lot of us that our hearts were broken a long time ago. So, and as I say, congratulations to people, typically the response I get is, thank you so much. Every person I say that to says, oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, what can I do to help? Oh, I'm so, this is awful. And you know what? You are owed a congratulations. You have made a massive decision to make a change in your life that obviously something wasn't working for somebody. Otherwise, we wouldn't be getting a divorce. So whether it was your choice or not your choice, the bottom line is this. Both people deserve to be loved by someone that actually cares about them. And if you're in a relationship where someone doesn't care about you or vice versa, again, I just really don't feel like you're doing your family any service. You're actually doing them a disservice to stay in an unhappy marriage with children, especially. I don't believe that I would have ever left my husband if I didn't have children. I don't know that I ever would have because I, I don't, I think I probably would have just stuck it out and taken it. It wouldn't have, I don't know. I, I say that. That's fascinating that you would say that because most clients who come and consult with a divorce attorney like me will say, I'm just trying to, I'm not sure if I should do this. I just want to stay together because of the kids. And it just logistically, it would be so much easier if they pulled the ripcord and, and they didn't have kids. I mean, the consequences are significantly less. So I'm fascinated why you would have stayed in an abusive relationship longer if you didn't have kids. I think because I wouldn't have ever even made it to therapy. I would have had enough time and energy to focus 100% on him and our marriage and our lifestyle, and I would have just taken it. I've seen that in generations that have come before me, and I think that I would have just stuck it out. That, that would have been my job. There wouldn't have been the children to... That was really for me. I could not have my girl. I have two girls. So there was no way I could have my two children end up with a guy like their father or to be in a relationship 
as like we were in and be treated like that, spoken to like that. I mean, the things that were being said in front of them, you know, my oldest, my baby was just a year and a half when we split up. So I was pregnant, you know, doing a lot of this stuff. It was intense, but I think, you know, just knowing how the dynamic was, the energy was in our house, there's, I couldn't have that for them. I don't believe it's healthy. And I think that Honestly, when people say I'm staying for the children, it's selfish move. I think if you actually were caring about your children, you would do what was best for them. And I think if people really sat down and thought about it, what's best for them is not having two drivers in the house. And let's get real. For those people listening with little kids, your life is very, very different right now than it's going to be in a snap, okay? Because the second, they're not going to be with you anymore. Once they hit middle school, high school, they're with their friends, they're playing sports, they're out doing their activities, they're driving on their own, they're doing all these things. And I think if we all look back and think about our high school days, our college days, I mean, how much time did you really spend with your parents? I mean, most of us, not much, right? Yeah, I saw statistics about that. I think it's a child spends 80% of their time with their parents up until middle school. And then the remaining 20% is the rest of their life, including high school. And that is really hard, especially for young mothers to kind of conceptualize. Because, you know, I mean, how many times have you said, I never want you to, to grow up? I mean, my my son's four years old. He just got a haircut. He looks, I mean, there are times when my wife and I look at him and we look at each other and we're just like, he's so cute. And when he's not throwing a tan, Right. But you're like, I don't, I want to just freeze you. And that dynamic is something that I think people have a hard time picturing what their life is going to look like in five years or 10 years like you. Well, you just aren't needed as much as far as the day to day from the second they wake up till they go on. When you have little ones, toddlers, you know, four year old maybe in school four or five days a week, you know, and probably home pretty fast after and still home a lot. You know, once they, my daughter dances 26 hours a week. I mean, that's on top of school. So she gets home at nine o'clock at night. I, you know, there's not that much time that we even spend together. So again, what's really going to be best for them? Their dad left the country several years ago and he isn't even in town. And let me tell you, Having someone pick those children up from school even three days a week so that I could work through the whole day without having to leave and, and know that they're with their dad and that they're you know being loved, it was a big deal when they left and everyone said, oh my gosh, how are you going to do it? How are you doing? First, that's the first question they asked, right? How are you going to do it when they originally leave, like when you split? And for me, I said, well, imagine you're living with a angry 14-year-old stepson that just wants to party all the time. That's who I have in my house. That was my husband, right? And so when he left, all of a sudden, I'd go to bed and the house would look the same when I woke up. Oh my gosh, this is a miracle. No one's been up partying all night. You know, just to have the calmness, the energy change in the house when that dynamic changed was huge. And again, it takes a little bit of time. It's not like they leave one day and then that's it. I also was really lucky because I had a baby. So she still slept in the bed. She still, so I, I had somebody to snuggle with a little bit, you know, but it's, it was a change when she left and I'm in this big bed all alone for all those years. But I think that knowing that you have the opportunity to make that change in somebody's life too, is should, I mean, that really needs to be the focus. Once he left the country, people said to me, oh my gosh, how are you going to deal with all the driving? How are you going to deal with all the, you know, not having any help at all? And 
It has been such an incredible change for the positive for my children. There's no back and forth. There's no, I left my t-shirt here or I forgot my books there or where's my homework, you know, none of the back and forth. And it's also, I think, healthier for them because he decided to get into a relationship with someone who does not like his children. And he has flat out said, you know, we cannot all live together because she hates them. You know, she, she doesn't like them. And that's heartbreaking and obviously their loss. And, but again, I find it that my children are probably more well-adjusted because of it. And he doesn't financially participate in their life and hasn't for many, many, many years. So I fly them down to where he lives so they can see him and spend time with them, but he's not super active in their life anyway. So Again, our motto is find the positive in every single sub, you know, anything that happens, there has to be a positive. And there were a lot of very negative things happening, especially when he hooked up with this girl. She had, that's another fun story, but she works in a, in an industry that isn't super safe for children. Let's just say that. So, you know, that was concerning, but we're very happy with the way things turned out and, and I'm here and I'm doing it alone on my own, doing parenting alone, financially responsible alone. So it is possible. And I think that women especially have all kinds of powers they have no idea they have. And we're raised to not necessarily consider ourselves powerful. There are some that are very lucky that are able to participate in sports as females, and they are empowered there in different ways than others. But a lot of girls are raised to be pretty and be good wives and you know, speak when spoken to and keep your mouth shut. I'm obviously not super great at that last one. But I think that, you know, being owning your power and understanding you can do it is a big part of it than just having the confidence in yourself. But that confidence is difficult to find when you're in the middle of your world crumbling. Yeah. And, and, you know, before we recorded this, you and I talked about some examples of things that you talk with your friends about. And I mean, you're in a unique situation, Jen. I mean, there, I can tell you that there are not very many people who have had their, the father just move away and kind of throw up his hands and say, I'm out of here. But going back to your divorce for advice, people, you know, for people in a divorce, what would you say to the person that's like, well, we're, we've gotten down to the kind of kitchen table, but I just can't give up the kitchen table or, you know, something like that is the car or that is, you know, twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000. And that is the, the sticking point. I mean, we've all seen that or, you know, certainly I have, but what would you say to that person, that friend that has really stalled out or is holding on to that last issue in their divorce? People have asked me that question many times, especially because we were in a really great position. I mean, we had four houses, we had this new business, we had all these things, and I gave him everything. People say, you gave him everything? Why would you do that? I said, so he'd leave. You know, he didn't want to divorce me. And for me, listen, if you want the kitchen table, Give them the kitchen table. It's not worth your time to fight over a kitchen table when you could go out and make enough money to buy a new table and be over the the all the emotional turmoil that's happening while you're in it. And I think people really get caught up in the moment and now they're finding their power, right? The power we were talking about before. All of a sudden they're finding and they're saying, well, I'm not, I'm going to get that $20,000 or I'm going to get the, and, you know, it could be $200,000. It could be $2 million. To me, it's more about, can you move forward? And if you can figure out a way to move forward, you can, I always say, I can make it all again. 
You know, I made it once, I can make it all again. I can do it on my own. I don't have to have somebody else. And to me, I always say, give it to them. In fact, I just had a conversation with another realtor and she and the man she's divorcing are both agents. And she said, he wants to list the house and and keep the commission. (laughs) I'm going to list the house. Like I'm going to said, what do you care? I mean, have you seen what's going on in the real estate market? Quit jacking with this. Let him have the house. Let him have the commission. You're going to get half the profit. So that's the big money. Isn't the commission off the sale. The the big money is going to be when you split the gain. You're going to get that. Make him do the work. Let him deal with all that. What She said, well, I should be setting up showings. I said, he's living in the house. You want to be the one calling, setting up the showings? I mean, this is a recipe for disaster. And the deal is, Is it really worth $15,000 to have all that headache and be caught up in all that drama still? And my answer is no. Like the second you take yourself out of the fight, which is really what you're in at that point, you're fighting over water bottles, kitchen tables, you know, a house, even a house. Like if you're fighting about your children, to me, that's worth the fight. If you're fighting over China, and I can remember that happening and him saying, well, I want three more place settings. Fine. Take three more place settings. Just sign the document, you know, and that was for me, I was ready and emotionally ready to make that change. And with especially women that are in abusive relationships, the the statistic is eight times. You leave eight times before you finally leave. Eight times. I mean, knife to the heart, like to get enough energy and confidence and power to like pack up and leave and then get sucked back in again, and then leave and get sucked back in again. Like By the time people get to you, if they've already been through eight rounds of that, they are beaten down. Like It is really deflating to be in that situation. The whole process is deflating because you've fallen in love. That's why you've gotten married in the first place. And it goes back to that marriage that I said is the third entity. And it really is to me like somebody's dying, you know, you are losing some, this entity is gone and you have to allow yourself to process that. You're going to be angry. You're going to be scared. You're going to be sad. You're going to be all those things. And I think once you just realize that and go, okay, you know, it's, it's often like, you know, a will, right? What do you do about the last few things? Is it worth destroying the relationship with your sister over one ring? Is it? I don't know. To me, family's more important. And I think that's where it should stay. You can buy another dining room table. You can't buy back the 20 hours you're going to spend fighting over it. And you could spend that time with somebody who cares about you or someone who you care about or your children or somebody like that. It's To me, it's not worth it. And that's the mindset you got to get in, right? You've got to get in the mindset of what is my goal here? Is the goal to fight over the kitchen table or is the goal to be divorced, right? And so I, I always go back to that when my girlfriends will call and say, well, he wants this. And I said, give it to him. What do, what do you care? She said, well, then he wins. You know what? I think that could play to our favor. Why don't we let him think he's winning, right? And this this works for men too, if you're dealing with, and, and I don't ever mean to say that there this is all like boo-hoo for the female party. There are a lot of horrible women out there that have destroyed the lives of their the men that they married and vice versa there's women marrying women men marrying men it doesn't matter I, to me it's genderless it is a it's a personality thing and how you treat people and 
hopefully your divorce is amicable. Hopefully people are saying, I agree, this just isn't working out. So let's find the best way to do this for everyone. Unfortunately for society, but fortunately for you, Ryan, that isn't the case. That's why you are so successful at what you do. Well, Jen, thank you. But I do want to go back to a couple of things that you talked about that I think are worth noting. And that is that you mentioned that the end of a marriage is like a death. And we frequently talk about in our firm about the seven stages of grief. And we have to talk with our clients about where they stand and to the extent, and a lot of people, they they don't even understand what they're going through. Like you're so in the thick of it. Like you said, you had to go through a year of therapy to really understand kind of yourself and you have a much better idea of where you're at. But when you're so in the thick of it, you're not like, oh, I'm in denial right now. I'm in the current process of transitioning to acceptance. Acceptance isn't happiness, but I mean, you can go through these various stages. You know, your friend, she mentioned, or, you know, she was undoubtedly going to be very angry at a certain point because her husband, you know, surprised her and said, you know, I'm, I'm in love with my secretary. And so you go through these different stages and frequently what we see is people are at different stages. And so you mentioned that you just had to give him everything. And just for all listeners to be clear, I did not represent <laughs> you in your divorce. So um, I did not, not initially your second round. No, right. So I did not recommend giving away the farm. And, and so for me, it's always a difficult to guide my clients who they might be willing to give everything and maybe that might not be in their best interest long term. There are some things, maybe $2 million. There are some things it's all relative, right? But you mentioned that your husband, he was just, he didn't want to get the divorce. And so you had to kind of navigate that. And it's a challenge because you look at the other party and you say, I could offer them everything and they still wouldn't take it because they don't want to be divorced. Or if they're angry or if they are in denial, it's counterproductive. So you have to take that something that we talk a lot about with our clients about where's the other person? Like, is this something that's we can even go forward in, in a productive manner? Or are we just going to bang our head against the, the wall and make settlement offers, but the other person's just not emotionally capable of dealing with that. So did you, does that resonate with you or did, did you have that a similar experience? I mean, it was a long time ago, but, and you mentioned various issues related to that, but that, is that something that's similar to what you went through? I think so. And and I've seen it with my girlfriends too, or other friends of mine, men and women that have gotten divorced. And, you know, that's where having a great attorney really comes into play because you have someone that's protecting your best interests. And sometimes when you're caught up, like you said, in the thick of it, you aren't really your best advocate because what you are, a lot of people are tunnel vision that they just want to get divorced. A lot of people, you know, for me, I had monster financial issue that was pending, aka the IRS, right? So to me, that was a real catalyst for me to say it would be better to give him A, B, and C than have to get into that fight with the IRS for those items. But other girlfriends of mine, some who I've actually sent to you guys, you know, they said the same thing. Well, he can just have everything. You know, he's the one who's worked so hard. You know, my job, I didn't make as much money. And that's where I think a mediator is so great too. You know, maybe you start out with your attorneys and a mediator there. And in her case, both the mediator and the attorney came back and said, you deserve more than that. And that's another thing. If you've been in a relationship where you've been constantly told you don't deserve anything, like you're worthless, you don't contribute anything, you 
you don't deserve anything. When you've heard that for so many years over and over again, you know, they're just winning again because it's they've planted the seed that you're worthless and deserve nothing. And so then when it comes time for a divorce, there is no time more important to have an attorney that can say, you are worth more, you deserve more, and I'm going to fight for you and get it because what you think you want right now is completely different than what is going to, what you think you may, what you actually may need or that you believe you deserve three, four years down the road. And then you're going, wait a minute, why did I just give all that away? Why did I just let him have all that? And that's why having someone like you is so instrumental because you're not caught up in it. And and I can remember calling you with tears and just saying, I can't, like, I can't do this anymore. I can't fight this fight anymore. And you saying, I got this, Jen, like, let me do my job. Let me do what I'm doing here. And at that time, it's also, remember, attorney is much like a doctor in a lot of ways, you have a personal relationship with them and they are really there for you. That's why they're there. And nobody else in your life is like that. Your parents aren't, your family isn't, your children aren't, your friends aren't like everybody has a little bit of a different, you know, view on it, but not you like that's your job. And I think you guys do such a spectacular job of it is that you really fight for what is best for your client not just, you know, best for your business. You know, you, you're, you're really looking for what's going to be the best for everybody and all the parties concerned, especially the children. And again, I know I keep going back to that, but a lot of times with the marriage, you know, the product is the children. Absolutely. And we have to figure out in every case, it's determining what the priorities are. And, and one of the common questions we ask in any sort of consultation is if we could wave a magic wand, what is it that you, we can't repair your marriage. We can't go back and undo the abuse, but what going forward in this divorce, what do you hope to achieve? And then it's the priorities and, and the kids are usually at the very, very top. And, you know, but also kind of figuring out how much conflict is normal. I mean, there's going to be some conflict in terms of that there's a divorce. And I mean, there sure is a a dead marriage, but there can still be conflict and it doesn't have to be contentious. You can work through it respectfully and efficiently, but just a disagreement, you know, that in of itself is conflict. But how much is that that is just natural and healthy compared to the name calling, the disrespectful, that where your whole time and energy, you're distracted from your work. How much is that? And is it over like a water pitcher? Is that a good cost benefit analysis? No. And so, but for $2 million or for time with your kids, it's, that's the sort of thing. And we have to draw back to our clients of, Hey, remember when we first met and you said this, cause it can oftentimes with people, it can be a moving target where they get X, Y, and Z. And that's what they originally said were their priorities, but now they want A, B, and C. And it's just because they just want more and they just want to feel like they won their divorce and kind of taking them back and saying, listen, you told me that you wanted X, Y, and Z. If you want to keep this going, it's going to cost you a lot in paying us. It's also one thing we can't put a dollar figure on. How much is it worth your mental health and your time? And people can oftentimes lose sight of that. And you have obviously a different perspective and because you've been kind of so far on and have been extremely successful. So for those people in terms of kind of parting words, Jen, who are looking at a divorce or have gone through a divorce and they're still incredibly bitter, what, you know, if you could kind of have a billboards in, in Eagle County, but if there was a billboard that you could put up for those people, what would it say? 
Ooh, that's a good one because I'm kind of long-winded. I might need a minute to shorten it up enough on a billboard. But in theory, something to the effect of how much is your time and your sanity worth? And what kind of parent, friend, partner are you going to be moving forward if you're consistently focused on or if a majority of your brain is consumed with this? And I think in business, a lot of times they say, how much is your time worth? Like actually put it out. How much do you make in a year? How many hours do you work? Divide it down. Okay. So is it worth $300 an hour? Is it worth $1,000 an hour? Is it worth to be in this fight a lot of times I feel like you get in the fight to fight. You're not in the fight to actually get an outcome. And the, the thing to remember is, works with this perfectly. You get married, you have a wedding to get married, not the wedding, you know? And I think when people are in the process of like planning the wedding and getting the gifts and doing all the things, it's about the wedding, right? It's not about the marriage and it should be about the marriage and they get focused on that. Same thing when you have a baby. Someone said, you get pregnant to have a baby, not a birthing experience, right? So it isn't about like exactly how it's supposed to be. It's get the baby out healthy. Like however that's going to happen, that's where your focus needs to be. And I think, again, you're getting a divorce to move on and have a better life, not to be in a divorce. Is the goal to be in a divorce for years on end? Take it from me. That's not the best way. You know, the best part of the divorce would be to actually get divorced. And then guess what the beautiful part of it is? Now you get to create any life you want the way you want to live it. And no one else is telling you what you can or can't do anymore. And you get to be the hero of your own story. And again, certainly if you have children, you will be their hero for making a decision that's for the betterment of their life and hopefully yours. And you're a happy person because of the choices that you've made. Well, Jen, uh, I think that's a great place to end. Thank you. And again, for anyone, we've done a separate podcast on uh, or episode on selling real estate. But if you are looking to sell a real estate, where can people find you, Jen, on, online or, or to reach out? You're so sweet. Thank you. And and again, I am so appreciative of you asking me to come on today. And if anyone is needing help, I highly recommend calling Ryan and Amy. Their team is incredible. And everybody that works with them is incredible and very thoughtful, which is important because you really want somebody who cares. If you're looking to purchase real estate, either here in the Vale Valley or the beautiful area of Cabo San Lucas, Mexico, you feel free to email me at Jen, that's J-E-N, at coldwellbanker.com. You can also find me at search in veil.com online. And I would be more than delighted to chat with anyone. And hopefully this will help somebody. I, I just hope my story can help someone make a better decision or move in a more positive direction than they were going before they watched today. Thanks again for having me. Thanks, Jen. Hey everyone, this is Ryan again. Thank you for joining us on Divorce at Altitude. If you found our tips, insight, or discussion helpful, please tell a friend about this podcast. For show notes, additional resources, or links mentioned on today's episode, visit divorceataltitude.com. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen in. Many of our episodes are also posted on YouTube. You can also find Amy and me at kalamea.law or 970-315-2365. That's K-A-L-A-M-A-Y-A dot law.